has the podcast started already? No, <laughs> I'm really confused. Yes. <laughs> I think this is this is a great point to start right here. Welcome to another instalment. Hello, of everyone. Weekly. Hello. Yes, we've been talking. Wait, no, about he's hours. interrupted. You start again. No, I like this. <laughs> everyone knows this is the way we work. It's very irreverent and completely unplanned. My name is Daniel Gardner, and I'm joined, as always, by two esteemed panelists, Chris Thompson and Scott Newman. Welcome, gentlemen. Greetings. Hello. Um, I don't know what you noticed, but uh, there's something going on this weekend. What is it again? Um, it is, of course, Bathurst. the race that stops the nation. No, it, it, I wish this is the one that stops the nation. It, why do bloody horses get all the rap and the credit? This is far more important. It is, of course, Bathurst weekend, and we thought it was best to uh, dedicate a special edition of which our weekly podcast exactly that but if you're tuning in and listening in and downloading to get uh, a really in-depth focus on the racing itself then i'm afraid you're going to be probably largely disappointed nothing new about our podcast there because we're not going to touch on that there's plenty of people who will be covering you know the ins and the outs of the actual racing technicalities we wanted to discuss all the peripheral stuff going on with Bathurst this weekend um including starting with uh with you scotty because you've been in another Scott's car, haven't you? Hey? I have, but before we get to that, let's tackle the big issue. Should one oh, year... Oh, what? I, didn't, I thought that was the big issue. No. Carry should, on. Should one year, because <laughs> you just mentioned the race that stops the nation, one year, should they switch and should they have a thousand kilometre race for horses at Mount Panorama <laughs> <laughs> and have an oval race for supercars on grass at Flemington? That lasts, what, about three kilometres? Yeah, which would be more exciting? Imagine, imagine the action, though, in that supercars race. 650 God, horsepower awesome. on grass, and you've got three kilometres to sort it all out. It would be like Rallycross. It would be amazing. It would. Exactly. All right. We'll I love that idea. That is excellent. Great. Sorted. Well, I feel we need go no further. That's perfect. Right, no, no, we must say, because... Yeah. Now, you were out <laughs> and about. You've been driving a very special car this weekend. It is Bathurst-related. Um, tell us what it was, Scotty, because I'm deeply envious about this. Okay. So, uh, last week... Uh, it was announced that Scott McLaughlin, uh, the, the now three-time Supercars champion, has uh, created a, a car with a sort of a limited edition car with Rob Herod, who is a name that will be familiar probably to most listeners, a long-time tuning guru, Ford man, uh, the, sort of the man behind the production of the R-Spec. Um, so he created a dick johnson limited edition which was a pretty wild thing and they wanted to do a mclaughlin at the same time but didn't really have the time so now that's all done they've created this car and it's a pretty cool thing so it's not it, just it's not a sticker pack is it because it's, that is the temptation when you do things you get an endorsement by a celebrity or a sporting figure and they just basically put their name on the boot badge and stickers and different wheels and that's it but that is definitely not the case with the, the no, Scott is, edition, is it? It is not the Sebastian Loeb Citroen Zara. It is a proper full-fledged <laughs> uh, edition. So it's a three-litre Whipple supercharger, which boosts power to 578 kilowatts. Wow. What's that in old money? Yeah, uh, uh, 775 horsepower. I'm just going to call it 800. Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, 810 newton metres or 600, uh, 598 foot-pound for those of you still living in the back. Bloody hell. <clears throat> um, Magnaride suspension, recalibrated, uh, recalibrated engine, recalibrated transmission, oil cooler, trans cooler, uh, adjustable anti-roll bars, massive rubber, 275s on the front, 305s on the rear. Uh, Bloody hell. 
all ADR compliant through Herod's second stage manufacturing. So you're not going to get pulled over in it and you can sell it in different states and all sorts of stuff. Um, so yeah, pretty but cool thing. The key question is, um, that sounds very impressive, but yes. as you know, the old Pirelli advert goes, no, power is nothing without control. Um, we know from the case of the aspect that it's utterly useless all that power unless you can actually do something with it. So enlighten us all. This is the thing I really want to know. Can, is it actually drivable with 800 horsepower? Uh, very drivable. Um, surprisingly so. Right. So, I mean, in some ways, the chassis is almost more impressive than the engine. I mean, the engine is a bit berserk. Um, <laughs> the Whipple supercharger on it is kind of, you know, superchargers sometimes can give you sort of a lot of power instantly. That's what they're good at. Whereas the Whipple is much more progressive. It kind of feels like a big, just a bigger Atmo engine. If you know, the harder you rev, it, the more power you get. So, a, that helps with drivability because you're not, you know, you're not mass wrestling masses of torque and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, it also makes it, yeah, extremely quick. Um, and, you know, you get, a, you, get a, you get a reward from revving it out, which is always nice in a, in a car. Like, you know, the more you rev it, the faster you go. So, uh, but... But how well, do you, how do you rev it out? Because like it, the gearing is, have they changed the gearing? Because if you rev it out, you'd be doing a thousand miles an hour in first gear, basically. No, so it's got the, uh, the one I had is the 10 speed auto. So... Ah, okay, okay. Um, and the manual might be a better bet because uh, I think we've, as we've spoken about before, the manual gearing is crazy long, but this thing actually has the grunt. With 800 horsepower, the gearing ceases to be quite so i mean it doesn't make it any shorter but it goes through the gears a bit quicker uh but in the auto cool. it's fairly frenetic because you just just count one two three four and that's the gears kind of going past um key to it is those tires though it's on michelin pilot sport 4s and 300 and the, the combination of 305 millimeter wide rears and that more progressive delivery is i'll give you an example uh a couple of weeks ago i drove the new roush rs3 another good package yeah um, that, that had still had its 275s on the back and sort of an older Continental. If you floored that at like 80, it would squirm up the road. Whereas if you do that in the oh, yeah. Scotty McLaughlin, which is, you know, it's got its own appeal, but the Scotty McLaughlin car just goes. It just squats and just buggers off. No wheel spin. Um, I actually drove it slightly in the rain though, which is a little bit more exciting. But um, <laughs> but it's good. It's, it's progressive. Like, you know, you've got to respect it because, you know, you can just put your foot down at, the highway speed limit and it'll just break into wheel spin. But um, if you're a bit sensible with it, you can actually drive it and drive it quickly without any fear, which is good. So really good package. Read the review on whichcar.com.au. I'll finish a video after this to give you a taste of what it looks and sounds like because it sounds pretty cool. It's got a um, as you would big, imagine big supercharger wine on it going much like your but you were about to say thirty six. Dan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, there's no comparison. I mean, did you think about a three-liter Whipple for your uh, E36? Uh, I, putting a putting a supercharger that displaces roughly an entire liter bigger than the engine itself, <laughs> I thought was probably not the way to go. I mean, that's no? probably the realm of street machine and drag challenge. Um, yeah, yeah, okay. So no, uh, but you were saying a moment ago that you started with a but, like there was something, there was a chink in the armor of this, of this. Oh, the auto. So Herod's recaled the auto and they've done a good job. It's quite crisp, but it's just that 10 speed auto. Like it's good in a normal Mustang, but when you up the power so much, when you make it a more capable car, if you give it sort of lots of inputs or a few inputs quickly, 
it gets a bit confused. Like even if you're sort of driving along the highway and you give it a bit more throttle to speed up or overtake someone, like you can watch the the gear number. It sort of goes 10, 8, 6, 5, 7. It can't, you know, it's, it's quite, it's sometimes quite indecisive and, right. uh, and, you know, and it's a torque converter auto. So it's not as snappy as, you know, the latest dual clutches or something like that. So, but at least, um, at least, I mean, this is the clear advantage of, of autos, a torque converter autos over DCTs is they can skip shift, can't they? Whereas DCTs have to yes. go through every gear to get to. So I suppose it does highlight in some ways the distinct advantage of a transmission like that in a car like that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, in a, especially in a car like that, you, you can just go a gear higher. Like it's not quite as exciting, but if you just stick it in fifth, like if you suck it in fifth and never changed, you'd still go extremely quickly because it's got heaps of torque, heaps of grunt, fast. Yeah, I really, I really gets, like that. Who gets to buy it? I mean, do you have to be a special Ford customer or do you... Um, no, no. It's, uh, they get, so 30 are going to New Zealand apparently and they're going to make no more than 100 for Australia. Um, right. Just ring up Herod. You don't have to have... Um... One thing that's kind of cool is... So the first, so they built 30 Dick Johnson limited editions and uh, those people have Gibbs basically to get the same number, Scott McLaughlin car, as they have their Dick Johnson car. So if you wanted, you know, theoretically the number 17s you want is the one you want for Dick Johnson and Scott McLaughlin. So if you've got number 17 Dick Johnson Mustang, you automatically get the opportunity to buy number 17 Scott McLaughlin car. Right. So that's kind of, you know, for these collectors, that's kind of cool. So. That's like well, like baseball cards, but you know, yeah, tenfold. like the whole set. Spe- yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, how much do you have to have to uh, set aside? For so depending on, so, I mean, depending on how many you've collected previously yeah. that you discount. <laughs> so the the basic package, um, so you can easily upgrade the car to Dick Johnson specs. So basically, the Dick Johnson car had a forged engine, diff cooler. Um, all sorts of stuff on it. Uh, I think a carbon wing and stuff like that. And you can, if you want to, you can add all that stuff to your Scott McLaughlin car. But in base sort of form, it's around 125 grand. Basically, it adds about 50 grand to the cost of a standard Mustang. Wow. And then, you know, depending on what options you add a, 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 over and above that, like a forged engine's expensive, carbon prop shaft's expensive, yada, yada, yada. Um, the sky's the limit. But I mean, it's how it is, is just in sort of normal standard form, um, fantastic thing if you wanted to take it to the track maybe you'd put the bigger brakes on it and some cup twos but yeah i think it's one of the best mustangs i've driven so. wow that is that is testament and a big call indeed coming from you scott you've had you've had your, your grubby mitts on just about every one they've made other than the 350r has eluded you so far yeah it? haven't driven it haven't driven the shelby's yet so uh and now you know gd350 has gone out of production i probably won't but hopefully we can work on driving a 500 gd500 um, still deeply jealous, uh, but from one car that uh, is currently on sale uh, with plenty of performance to another, Chris. Um, tell us about this unusual offering that's uh, in the market at the moment and why you might be interested in it. Uh, it's been done once before, but um, Walkinshaw, the race team, is actually selling one of their cars. And it's not just one of their staff cars that they drive around from the track to the workshop in it's actually one of the race cars so if you want right. uh for the next well short while as we record this you can actually bid on Chaz mostert's number 25 uh walkinshaw andretti united Commodore Wait, so, supercar. so the one that is out on track pretty much as we speak is the one that's for sale 
Yes, so it's his. He's been racing supercars obviously for a few years, but um, he's just jumped into a Holden this year. Uh, well timed, and then uh, this is his first Holden. So uh, he actually gets to hold on to it until the end of next hold year him to it. because hold him he's to it. still. Uh-huh. <laughs> he still has to <laughs> all right all right he still has Terrible. to he still we has to race it let's let's move on from that <laughs> uh he still has to race it for a for a, a little bit longer so he has plenty more time to uh wear the chassis in for its next owner but um it, yeah it's actually racing at bathurst this weekend i i, I uh spoke to warren luff his co-driver uh, for the weekend, and I just basically asked how they were feeling, and then, you know, mentioned the fact that the car was up for sale to Luffy, and he said, "Oh yeah, we'll, we'll be careful with it, I suppose." <laughs> well, as much as you can be careful with a car in the Bathurst One Thousand, it's like that's by definition not being particularly careful with a car. But in terms, well, of, he said, "Sorry, go on, Scott." In terms of value, it's a really interesting thing. I mean, because what's it worth at the moment so you know presumably in one sense every lap it does like if i'd bought it i'd ring them up and say well don't use it anymore i've bought it now um yeah well that's exactly my <laughs> point is that how can you sell something that you're not done with yet it's kind but, of well at, at the if it wins at the, the race, moment then it's currently it's going to be worth a lot more well at the moment according to its bidding it's worth a hundred and forty thousand dollars <laughs> Well, that's a, As that I speak. Is a bloody bargain. But, An but absolute when, bargain. <laughs> when does bidding end? Uh, so to, to timestamp our recording, it's, you know, lunchtime Friday and the bidding ends this afternoon at 8pm. So, right, so as, as Scott says, it's a bit of a gamble, isn't it? Because if... As the car is fact, on the track, someone else is watching going, oh, God, don't crash it, don't crash it, don't crash it, don't crash it. <laughs> no, but the, the most important and interesting, fascinating point here is, as Scott says, if that car, with each lap that it does, it gets essentially more valuable. And if it wins, it becomes much more valuable. So it's like the ultimate gamble on a car value. You know, you're not thinking what's going to be the future classic in 30 years time. This could be a classic in about 10 hours. You know, like that's that's amazing. Well, that's the thing. Luffy is a pretty good, um, you know, our, 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 uh, our sometimes co-worker for events at Motor Magazine, Luffy, has a pretty good track record of landing himself on the podium whenever he's someone's co-driver for the Bathurst 1000. And uh, Mostert's shown that he's, you know, doing really well this year. I think he's fourth or fifth on the, the, on the ladder. Before... Yes, yes. So that's the other thing. So both of them have properly good and bad experiences at Bathurst. So they sort of know what to and not to do. Um, and Luffy was, you know, setting some pretty good times himself, even just as a co-driver yesterday, as, as we sort of expect from him. So it's, um, it's in with a chance to, if not land itself on the podium, that e- car could end up being the winner. It's an exciting way to go about bidding for a car, isn't it? Like, so someone, someone will have bought a car and either they'll be, have paid way over the odds because it's now just a set yeah. of component pieces or they've got the bargain of the century because they've got a Bathurst winning race car. So yeah, you might have inadvertently or yeah, unwilling or sorry, unwittingly known you've bought a piece of history. And that's why this is all so interesting. Um, Now there's one thing that bothers me about this, this offer is deal. Do you get the complete car, Chris? You do not. So you get, you get, you get a lot of bonuses with buying the car, but one thing you don't get is the engine. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's the Fred Flintstone edition. 
So you get you get to choose a livery from any of the races that it's done over the 2020-2021 season. I would you get gladly a lot of, trade that a lot option of, uh, for, an for the ability to actually move the car without pushing it. I agree. <laughs> I would have it in white or whatever, just with, you know, <laughs> just literally strip the car of all of its, you know, decals or whatever. As long as it has a V8 supercar race engine, uh, I would be very happy. Uh, 100%. <laughs> Now, I'd but go the what, other so way. What, I'd, I'd take all the stickers off, take the wing off, make it look str- Maybe put some, you know, some <laughs> wheels. wheels on it and then put like a 13B rotary in it or something. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> you, that, that, uh, ZB like belongs, that ZB Commodore that looks like it belongs on a government fleet sounds really unhealthy for a, exactly. for a V6, doesn't it? <laughs> so, all right. In seriousness then, what what... What is what's the life that's destined for this car after its racing um, career? So you get it without an engine. What will the new owner do? Will they put it in a in a garage in a museum with lots of other cars without engines and it never rolls again? Or will someone who actually wants to use it potentially even race it try and fit another engine in it? I don't understand how this works. What's the most likely well, fate of that car? That's there's there's a couple of potentials. One is that just a collector who's very well healed buys it, sticks it in a garage or a shed or you know, puts it on display somewhere. Uh, the yeah. other option is that um, someone who wants to race it in something like the support category um, could, I think, buy it potentially and then just pop their own race engine in it and, you know, use former potential Bathurst winning Chas Mostert's uh, race car in, you know, the Super 2 series or whichever which right. series it's called now. So that would be interesting to see, but I, I don't know which way it's going to go. Either way, someone's bought, you know, at this point, the bidding hasn't exactly climbed super quickly, but you know, a car that's worth upwards of half a million dollars from its build for a sixth of that, potentially. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be the the skeptic here and say a large part of that half a million is in the bloody engine, which you're not getting. But anyway, still at this stage, seems like a bit of a bargain. Very interesting to see what the final figure on that engine, or sorry, that car um, without its engine is. Um, and be really interesting to see if it does the classic eBay trick of going through the roof right towards the end of bidding. Yeah. That's one eye on the telly, one eye on the computer. <laughs> um, we're discussing all things Bathurst, not necessarily the racing in itself, um, all the stuff that comes with that. And for all the good and the celebration and uh, the positivity that comes with the race, there is an elephant in the room. And this year's uh, Bathurst 1000 is tinged with a bit of sadness. And that is, of course, because it will be the last time a factory-backed Holden goes up the mountain or, as far as we can see, ever in Australian touring car racing. Um, how do we feel about this, guys? Is it, is it really the end? I mean, the, the, the reason this fits sort of uncomfortably with me is that, you know, there have been various stages of the end of Holden. Um, one was obviously local manufacturing. Then there was the retirement of the brand entirely. But even though that's been announced, this to me seems like the most tangible and terminal. Uh, is that how you feel? I This is sort of personally disappointing because the terrible motoring confession that I have to make is that I've never been to the Bathurst 1000. Oh, dear. And I had, I had a chance with my dad a few years ago, but um, plans changed and we didn't end up going. And uh, before we knew that this would be uh, the last... Um, time we'd see Holden as a factory team there I thought to myself I think it was 
you know, last year I thought, oh, I should really get to Bathurst while there are still, you know, Holden and Ford factory teams there, or at least, you know, teams that are backed by the brands. So, uh, and then the old that's... curse of the pangolin came and dealt a blow to that plan, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've heard, but a few people got pretty sick, so that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's sad. Um, because yeah. not, yeah, I only managed my first um, Bathurst 1000 uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, so, but I, I mean, I do have the, the notable excuse of, you know, not arriving in the country until um, my... Huh? How long have you lived here? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. The small matter of fourteen is, years. To this the is month. an interesting is, point, though, Dan. Did Did you have any knowledge of the Bathurst One Thousand before you make, made it to Australia? And once you know the, and once the you first hit, time, the first time I ever heard of Bathurst was um, um, is it Murray Walker, the F one um, yes. commentator? He got a ride in an Audi A four um, touring car around Bathurst. And it is one of, still on, on um, video sharing internet uh, sites, it's one of the coolest pieces of driving and one of the coolest pieces of commentary I've ever seen because, bless him, he might have got it wrong 95% of the time, but his commentary strapped into an A4 racing car was just sublime, just listening to him trying to talk over the forces of the car and the noise and everything. And I remember thinking, what is this place? That's the first time, and that would have been back in the probably the nineties. So um, it's not really widely known. It's it's obviously it's a complete Australian institution, but it's not like one of those global races where the rest of the world knows about it, despite its gravity and um, momentum within the nation. So after you've come to Australia, how long did it take for you to, like, as a car guy, realise a what it was and b the significance of it? would have been the next time the race came around you know you can't you can't escape it and if if anyone you know has any interest in cars at all obviously it's front and center so yeah the answer to that is very quickly did it come to attention so was 06 your first year yeah it was yeah yeah i I spent a couple of years a couple months here in 2005 but then 2006 my first year so it would have been that one yeah well that's interesting because that's like the bathurst of all bathurst really because that was the first one after peter brock had died and yeah. Lowndes won the race, obviously the perfect person to win the race. And it was a cracking race. It was like half a second or two tenths of a second apart at the end. So, And then went on to win pretty much all of them after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny. You, you would have, right, if you had you tuned in, you, you know, it would have been big any, but everyone would have been crying and everyone celebrating. You would have gone, Jesus, this is a bit of a big thing, isn't it? So, it was, it really, you're right. It was really the perfect one to be inaugurated in, in my mind. Yeah, definitely. Believe it or not, as young as I am, I do remember that. And I remember watching it with my dad and um, his... You, you know, weren't born. As, a, <laughs> as, a, as an in and out Holden man, he was uh, pretty happy to see even then all of the way that race went down. But um, speaking of my dad, I do actually have some Baptist experience because he's from uh, Orange nearby. And I have actually driven yeah. Baptist albeit uh, when I was on my learner license in a <laughs> Toyota Land Cruiser V6. So oh, I, did, I did clock a time at the speed limit on my L's and then logged it in my, in my book instead of as hours. We logged it as, I think it was seven and a half minutes. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's really good. That's lovely. Um, I've probably told it, the, the anecdote before, I, the first lap of... Um, Bathurst I drove was was under road conditions 
Um, but it was in a rear-wheel drive five-liter. Oh, yes. Just leave that one with you for a moment. It was a Hino 300 Jackie series truck. Oh, no, well, no, okay. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was it. I was on a truck launch. It was, it was probably the slowest lap of Bathurst ever um, <laughs> under any conditions. Uh, but it was brilliant because you could actually sort of take it all in really slowly and the high position of a truck was brilliant. Anyway, um, subsequently I have been back and driven it under uh, more race-like conditions, which is amazing. Scott, I believe you've done that recently. Uh, yes, I have. What did you, oh, what did you drive it in? Uh, the uh, Mercedes AMGs. Oh, yes. Was that the snow, the famous snow week? Well, I did it two years. So, yeah, one of them was the snow week and it was utterly terrifying. Um, yeah, so for those who didn't see Bathurst in these conditions. It was, uh, it was unseasonally cold. Um, and one morning it had actually snowed. So we we're heading out on this, the track, which is, you know, not known for being unintimidating, if that's a word. And it was cold and even uh, wet and even icy in places. And we were in very powerful AMG powered Mercedes. It was a, it was a good, um, good educational experience. Yes, I'm lucky enough to, I'm very lucky because it's a privilege to drive around that place. Like any racetrack is a good racetrack, but even that place, not, even if you're not going flat out because it's such a hard place to go even eight tenths at because it's fast and daunting and everything, especially in someone else's car. But I've been lucky enough to drive there a couple of times. Uh, one was on that AMG week that Dan mentioned, um, dodging like 50 cars on track and getting in cars with no <laughs> brakes and stuff like that. And that was kind of entertaining. Uh, and then drove the first uh, the, fir uh, the second generation r8 the first time they had it in australia the day after the 12 hour uh they did a day there uh we had spent the morning there and actually i got very ill at that race and ended up in orange hospital that night but then felt better so i got discharged had a sleep got up and then drove <laughs> an r8 around bathurst which is still the fastest i've been in a car it was 280 Four or five k. Wow, in Conroy, that was wow. That was, that was that my top speed. How fast you'd have gone if you were feeling okay? Yeah, my top <laughs> so speed. Maybe my, that's maybe that's why I my went top so speed fast. was also thinking straight. Funnily enough, in an R8 too. So yeah, there you go. There go. Um, but you had mine beat because I didn't have Conrod straight at my disposal. <laughs> well, that's the thing that Conrod looks. Conrod straight is daunting. It's bumpy and it's very hilly and like the run down into the chase is a really steep hill because it's, it's fine it is literally a roller coaster it's a real alarming sort of you know usually the straight's the bit where you relax but like the r8 and like any car at that speed is moving around and going light over the humps and everything like that even those amgs as well um but then earlier this year just before covid made the world go mad i attended a lotus day up there and that was fantastic like they had a they had oh, a track day for um for all their customers and they invited a few media along and basically we had a couple of, they had their, you had two sessions and a number of cars you could drive. So it started in the Elise Sprint 220, Elise Cup 220, sorry. Uh, no, sorry, Elise Cup 250. Uh, and that was a perfect car to sort of learn Bathurst and sort of get acquainted with because it had more grip than power. Fast car, but not crazy fast. Um, so it was a really good way to yeah, lovely. Get used to the track and sort of enjoy the process of driving. Because I mean, in the R8, you're hanging on a bit, and it's a bit daunting because it's such a fast yeah, yeah. car. Whereas the Elise was a bit, you know, more, uh, more my sort of <laughs> speed. But then I thought, what the hell? We'll get in the Exige. I tell you what, an Exige 410 around Bathurst is a fair old thing. It is. Um, there's some footage up on YouTube if you want to see me wobbling around. 
even just for the noise <laughs> it makes because it makes a wicked noise. Uh, and even that thing was running 270 down Conrad. Like you think a Lotus maybe. Oh, wow. Yeah, Lotuses, they aren't that fast. Uh, and a good instructor friend of mine asked me, he's like, oh, so were you flat through the chase? I was like, no. And I told him it was going 270. He's like, oh, yeah, you probably wouldn't be. <laughs> That's me. Um, but I mean, I don't know if you found this, Dan, as well. Like, it's such a weird racetrack because there's nowhere to get it wrong. Like, if you're at Winton or even Phillip Island or something, if you overcook it, you go on the grass. If you really cock it up, you get it in the sound trap and that's embarrassing and maybe you get a bit of gravel rash on the car. It's all concrete. And across the mountain, even a road car, you're doing like 160, 70, 80 k's an hour. So I just yeah. don't understand how anyone drives around there in a racing capacity because sooner or later you'll make a mistake and you're just going to crash. Yeah, let alone that's, for hour after hour. That's yeah. what really like just completely flummoxes me. Speaking of hour after hour, I have been to one race at Bathurst and it was the 12 hour this year, yeah. the most recent one. And that was really great, but there were a couple of uh, a couple of pretty big offs. One of them, uh, I was standing up at um, just near Brock's skyline, and um, Dean Canto basically flipped almost a Lamborghini onto the. It actually ended up on the wall. It was one of the um, yeah one of one of the days before the race started, and it was facing the wrong way, sitting <laughs> sitting just in front of the spectators on the wall on the other side. Amazing of the bit of parking. It was incredible. Been practicing for ages. You still got a I saw home. him in the I saw him in the pits later on, and he said he said he was a little sore, but he seemed okay. Uh, Dan, did you <laughs> take the opportunity during that AMG day to get a passenger lap? Uh, I did, and I was hoping you weren't going to ask that because I um I can't remember the the, the name of the driver, uh, which is terrible. Um, I'm gonna oh, you you're good at this. You'll be able to work it out. Uh, so he's a Mercedes DTM driver, um, young chap. Uh, quite nice looking glasses. Wasn't Mario Engel, was it? Or um... no? no it, okay, well, I'll bro- I'll, hopefully it'll come back to me in a minute. But anyway, the, the the reason I suspect you're asking is because just when you think you get in the hang of any race <laughs> track, particularly Bathurst, you think, yeah, I've got this, I can nail this, you know, Dipper and you know, Forest Elbow and all that. Then you get to ride pillion with someone who really knows what they're doing. And you just know you're nowhere. And Bathurst is particularly good at highlighting the void between you know, fairly good mortal drivers and the immortal, lunatics. which is racing drivers. Yes, exactly. Professional lunatics. It was so what were you staggering. in? GT or E3? Well, I was really... It, no, it's a GT and there was the choice of the GTR or the... I think it was a GTC. And I actually went for the GTC because... I felt like the GTR was going to be a little bit too, a bit lost on me, you know, downforce, you know, the thing's going to try and stick to the track as much as possible. But in the GTC, it doesn't have all that area or as much. I thought it's going to be a little bit more wiggly. And I was absolutely right, you know, like backing it into forest. It was just, it was insane, you know, and, and he would have been nowhere near the limit, but making it theatrically feel a lot like it was. So that was the one, the one to do it. In, well, I'll get, I'll get everybody to laugh at me now because I will always remember the person who gave me my hot lap at Bathurst, uh, Mr. Marcus Marshall, because I was so scared. I actually asked him to slow down. Um, <laughs> so we were in a C63, um, three up. I was in the back and another gentleman was in the front and uh, he then proceeded to I don't know, scare the living bejesus out of me. Um, like I've been lucky enough to drive with quite a few racing drivers and uh, Marcus was certainly on it that day. Um, we were wow. sideways all the way over McPhillamy. 
um, which is not a place you usually want to have a car sideways. No, um, weird <laughs> off camber. The car was squirming all over the place. He had it drifting all the way through the concrete walls up the top. Um, and again, you know, I felt bad because, you know, he's he's not he's not in, not going to endanger himself. Like he's just having fun. But it was it was just the case of that racetrack. Really, like, had we been doing it at Phillip Island, I probably would have been giggling. But I was like, we are going to absolutely die at this stage. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I sort of squeaked as I think it was, we go, I think we might've got to Conrad and I sort of squeaked like, oh, he's laying down, please. Oh, that's cute, oh. Scott. Um, that's um, really nice. A bit shaky. And I mean, you know. But you're a funny one like that. You're not a great passenger. I know this because no, I've not. shared cars with you on launches before. And yeah, so, and that's not because I'm a terrible driver. It's just because you're, you know. You, yeah, you I am. Like a lot of, I'm a lot better yes, than, I'm a lot better than I used to be. It's just, uh, I... Uh, I am a nervy passenger. Um, a lot, yeah, a lot better than I am now. And yeah, it's but you're a decent driver, though. and so you can you can spot people being the opposite of a good driver very quickly. And I think that's that's kind and of that's the part of the Marcus thing, I guess, because you know, I can drive moderately quickly or whatever. And then the guy gets in the car that you were driving only a couple of hours before, and suddenly enters at speeds and so sort of commits at speeds that you think. I'm definitely going to die because I tried to do this like 20 k's an hour slower <laughs> not long ago and was was scared then and now it's, sort of a, it's yeah. another lesson uh, if ever you needed it that racing drivers are a little bit different. And I will take all of those opportunities and lessons wherever I can get them. Um, gentlemen, it is that time where we have to go. And normally, it's just because we've run out of stuff to say or we're annoying each other. But today we have to go because it's 20 minutes to qualifying. Um, so uh, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy Bathurst. Um, looking for all the action. And uh, we will be back again for another chat around about the same time, but no guarantees next week. Until then, drive safely. Happy Bathurst Day. Bye. Ta-da.